Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, October 14th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll talk college football for week seven. We'll talk NFL for week six. We'll discuss a listener question about bankroll management. And we got a lot of great college football and NFL content to bring your way here on today's show. And something else, I want to make a quick announcement about this here right away. We'll be doing the show with Kyle on Wednesdays now. On Mondays, he's got to get together his things for college football totals. Totals generally have been posting around the time that we've been recording. So, to make things easier for him and also to make sure that he gets the best of the number and the market entry that he needs, not only to make money for his clients, but also to make money for himself. We'll be moving the show from Monday to Wednesdays now. I don't know if I'll pick up another show on Monday, but for next week, we'll go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with ATS Radio as we're doing here this week. Over at ATS.io, lots of stuff for you to check out. Plenty of great content, picks and predictions articles, industry news, uh, record-setting month for the state of Indiana. We wrote about that over at ATS.io. And also, two tremendous sportsbook promotions this week from BetMGM Sportsbook. For Thursday's Game 4 in the Braves-Dodgers game, you bet $1 on the money line for either team. And if a home run gets hit in that game, $100 in free bets will be yours. And then for NFL Sunday, bet a dollar on any NFL game on Sunday. And if a touchdown is scored in any game, You'll get $100 in free bets there. Again, that is a new user promotion only. You can only use it one time. You can read more about that over at ATS.io. With that, we'll bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com as well as bettersportspicks.com. Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well, man. Uh, how about yourself? Doing well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll be moving our segments here to Wednesday as opposed to Monday. And, you know, we preach about market entry. We preach about getting into the market at the right time. And, uh, you know, sometimes that is something that you have absolutely have to prioritize. Yeah, you know, that was never an issue in past years, but the timeline's been sped up. And, you know, as they, instead of releasing totals uh, late afternoon on Monday, now it's become some of them Monday morning, Monday around lunchtime. So, uh, as more of these um, FanDuel, DraftKings, um, Circa put those numbers out even earlier for the in-person betting, uh, it makes the the offshores have a little bit of an easier time to just put out that number sooner. So I uh, appreciate being able to move that to Wednesday, and I'll look forward to keep doing this here every Wednesday. Well, and, and fortunately, Ohio should be coming online here with yeah. uh, with sports betting early in 2021. So, you know, you, maybe you'll have to be ready on Sunday nights, uh, you know, for some of those numbers that will come out in the college football totals market. But in any event, as I said, we had a listener question, and I, I like to answer these as often as I can. And you can follow me on Twitter at Skating Tripods. You can email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com. Kyle always gives out his email address at the end of the show as well. If there are ever questions that our listeners have, you know, topics that you want us to talk about, anything like that, please shoot us a message. We'll be happy to talk about those things on the show. And 
Uh, Cody Lancaster on Twitter, at Mr. The KLL, reached out after our show last Thursday with Brad Powers and said that, you know, he's feels like he's much improved from listening to the shows, and we certainly appreciate that. And wanted us to go a little bit more in detail on our thoughts with bankroll management and how we handle those things. And it is kind of a loaded question. It's something that we could talk about really as we discuss each individual sport, because both you and I have our strengths, have our weaknesses. We have different bet sizes based on the sport that we're playing as a result. But we'll focus specifically here on college football, since that's what we're doing on today's show. I know you've got some college basketball notes as well. And you do a lot with college basketball. But as far as Cody's question here, regarding bankroll management, what, what's sort of the starting point or you know the standard operating procedure for you? For me, I like to take a percentage of my bankroll. Um, on most plays, I do one and a half percent, two percent, or two and a half percent, and that's you know I rate my plays three star, four star, and five star. Almost all my plays are three star or four star, so we're rarely going to have a five star play. Um, those are just the ones that I feel really strongly about. Um, I, I think that doing a percentage of the bankroll is a good idea because it allows you to adjust pretty easily, pretty quickly. I adjust my bet size monthly based on my bankroll. Some people do it weekly or more often. I just don't like to change my bet size terribly often. At the same time, you know, you have a lot of flexibility if you're using a percentage of the bankroll. The reason I keep mine low is I don't want to be like those guys that say, okay, this is a you know, 10% of your bankroll play or, you know, 50 unit play or whatever these things, different people say, you know, those uh, game of the years that come out every single day type thing. Those, those are really dangerous because as strong as you may feel about any play, um, anything can happen in one game. So I like to keep my percentage pretty low. I don't want to have to reload a lot, even if I'm in a slump. So I try to keep it pretty cautious. In general, we've talked about this before. I'm kind of a risk averse type of guy. Um, I also think that, if you just fly by the seat of your pants, you can really get burned when it comes to bankroll management. I know a lot of people do this and a lot of people like to have those little action bets, small action bets, uh, lunch money type wagers, really small wagers or something that you want to bet on a game that, that you just want to watch on TV. I don't think that that's, you know, um, a terrible thing to have, but I think if you do something like that, it's a good idea to have a separate bankroll and just uh, put a small amount in that for, for those lunch money wagers for fun. I think mixing mixing those into the normal system can be pretty dangerous because if you're betting something solely just because you want to watch the game, you want to have action on it, you probably don't like it as much as you like the other plays. Um, I find myself usually having a lot of games that aren't the nationally televised games because I have a bigger edge in those. So uh, I think really the big goal for me of bankroll management, though, is to take emotion out of the picture because the more emotion you get into this, uh, I think the worst it can go when it comes to bankroll management. Yeah, I think you made a lot of excellent points there. And I'll, I'll sort of piggyback some of what you're talking about. And the first thing I'll say is that 98, 99% of bettors aren't going to have an optimized bet size because they don't know exactly what their edge is. They're not able to calculate exactly how much of an advantage they have over the market. Because unless you're modeling and you've got you know a lot of spreadsheet data and stuff like that, it's very hard to calculate exactly what your edge is, exactly what the expectation in that game is going to be for you. So because of that, I know a lot of people like to talk about Kelly criterion and stuff like that. And look, if you're able to do that, this discussion really isn't for you because you already know, you know, what you're doing in terms of bankroll management, what your optimal bet size is, stuff like that. For a lot of other people, and even people like you and I who don't do, you know, substantial modeling or anything like that, 
I think a percentage system does make a lot of sense in particular, because as you said, you can adjust. If you're having a good season, if you're making good reads, let's say that your average or your standard bet size is two and a half percent. Well, if your bankroll has gone up, your bet size is going to be higher. So if you're doing well in that sport, then your bet size is just going to naturally increase. If you're struggling, two and a half percent is going to be a little bit smaller of a bet amount. And maybe that gives you the opportunity to catch up a little bit, make your adjustments, stuff like that. So I would definitely think about it from a percentage standpoint, as opposed to just a dollar amount or something like that. Another thing I would recommend for people, and we kind of touched on this already, but we can elaborate on it more, playing to your strengths and weaknesses. If you're a really good college football handicapper, let's say you want your bankroll to be $1,000 for that. If you're not so good in the NBA, but you feel like you can pick off spots and stuff like that, maybe your bankroll for that is $500. Maybe in the NFL, a very tough and tight and efficient market to beat, maybe your bankroll is $500. Maybe you're excellent at college basketball. You feel like you've got edges with you know 130 games on Saturday, 350 teams, stuff like that. Maybe your bankroll is $1,500. And that's where one of the things that I always preach in this business comes into play is being organized. Everything's going to go into one bankroll in your account, but if you keep those separate with spreadsheets or whatever else and play to your strengths, kind of, you know, play a little bit more risk averse with your weaknesses, but you know you're still going to bet those games, then you can do that in spreadsheet form or something like that to where 2.5% of your bankroll in college football will be bigger than 2.5% of your bankroll in the NBA Again, being organized, knowing your plan of attack, those are things that can benefit your bankroll management as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all that. I think, you know, playing to your strengths is really important. And if you don't know what your strengths and weaknesses are in betting, then you'll have to be careful. Maybe you want to keep something flat. But, um, you know, I don't think that you should be uh, doing this for too long before you realize, okay, I'm better at this sport than I am another sport. I mean, we can kind of see by what the line does, the line moves. We've talked about this before. If you're making numbers and it moves away from your number consistently or you're way off for a long time, you probably don't have a really big edge there. So, um, you know, hopefully you're able to tell which sports you're stronger in. You know, for myself, uh, I bet more in college football and college basketball than I do in the NBA, for example. So far this year, that's not been the best idea. I had a really good NBA season. Haven't done very well in football overall. Uh, better the last couple of weeks, certainly. But, you know, the long term is more important to me than what I've done in a few weeks. So if you have a long term, you know, five, 10 year periods where, where you see you've done better in one sport than another, that's what you want to trust rather than one week or two weeks, or three weeks. So this is a long term game. Um, you know, I recommend everybody uh, use the percentage of the bankroll or have a really set system. Like I said, I think the worst is if you just kind of uh, adjust on the fly because that can be really dangerous. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you know, I, I know that it's probably not what people want to hear in terms of us saying that, you know, a standard bet size is, you know, two, two and a half, three percent, something like that, because everybody wants to treat this like some get rich quick scheme, you know, and. I Brad Powers and I went on a rant last week. I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to the show. We got a lot of positive feedback uh, from the rants that we both went on about the direction of this business and the media coverage of this business. I know you and I've had these conversations a lot in private, you know, through our hangouts chats and everything, but you know, you see these, these $10 parlays getting propped up that, you know, have won 18,000, 20,000, $60,000, whatever the case may be. 
that's one parlay out of millions of parlays that were played. So, you know, a lot of people will probably get discouraged hearing that we say, you know, two and a half, three percent. But this is a long-term grind. This is not a get-rich-quick thing unless you hit one of those lottery ticket parlays or something like that. You start thinking about it, you know, what's what's your average bet size? Maybe 50 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that. And if you're spraying around a bunch of, you know, low-odds parlays at $10, $15 a piece, you're cutting into, you know, the potential winnings that you have from just straight betting games. So if you want to play around with parlays, as you mentioned, Maybe that's a separate part of your bankroll. You know, the lunch money thing, a lottery ticket thing. You know, you go to a bar and you're going to play $10 on Keno. Well, maybe you play $10 with the parlays on a Saturday or a Sunday, something like that. Just, you know, for that chance, for that opportunity, round robins are probably a better way to go. We could talk about that on another show. But again, you know, I think that you want to really segment your bankroll to play to your strengths and also understand that, Yeah, maybe sometimes you want to have fun and throw those lottery tickets out there, but have them sort of segmented from the rest of your bankroll so that you're not hurting your bottom line or your average bet size with straight wagers on sides, totals, props, et cetera. Absolutely agree with that. No, I didn't. I didn't hear your rant. Uh, I might have to go back and listen to that, though. Uh, Brad and you always have great thoughts. Uh, respect Brad's work a lot, and you always do a great job with the show. So I, I imagine I should listen to that. Although I, I'm sure I agree with it based on the fact that you know we see all these alt totals being bet for a million dollars or whatever things like that reportedly built. Uh, bet for a million dollars and then you know you see these parlays hitting like you said i also wonder every time i see that how much is that better lost before they won that you know because um that better might still be down you know you see this huge win and you see uh this ten dollar parlay hits three thousand bucks or something like that and you know maybe that better has lost just about everything else that they've played or they've lost that many parlays i mean you're going to lose a lot of times uh you'd, you'd be surprised how many times i have uh clients reach out to me and say you know, I had a five-team parlay and I won four out of five. Look, that's going to happen a lot. I mean, we know that. That's going to happen a lot. You're going to be so close to winning, but you don't do it. And that's where you said, you know, maybe round robin would make sense, but that's for another day. I do think that, you know, if you want to have parlays, um, if you want to play teasers, I think teasers can make sense in the NFL. Um, teasing college football, not something I like to do. Teasing basketball, you might as well just quit. You know, that's that's just a terrible idea. Um, so if you're teasing, keep it to the NFL. And I think that can be part of a serious bankroll. But um, I don't recommend teasing in any other sport. Well, and so like we said, and, you know, I will crowdsource opinions and talk with Brad Powers about this tomorrow as well. But, you know, again, I think that the two primary takeaways are find a percentage that works for you. You know, find a percentage of your bankroll that you think is a good bet amount. You do not want to go way overboard because again, keep in mind, let's say you go, Oh, you know, I want my standard bet size to be 5%. Well, how many games do you play on a college football Saturday? And that's also part of the bankroll thing. If you're playing maybe three games, maybe 5% is okay. If you're springing around on eight games and you're playing 5% a game, that's 40% of your bankroll in play on a Saturday. And if you run bad, that's a you know big chunk of losses for you to the point where maybe you have to reload before NFL Sunday or something like that. So that's another thing too, is that volume should dictate your bet size. If you're playing a ton of games, you don't want a lot of money out there on a ton of games. If you're playing a small number of games where you feel like you've got the biggest edges, maybe your bet size can be a little bit bigger. 
But for you, for example, with a college basketball Saturday, if you had 5% of your bankroll in play, you'd have over 100% of your bankroll turning over every Saturday because you play a high volume of games in college basketball because you feel like you have your edges there. So that's important to keep in mind too, is if you're playing 10 games on a Saturday, you probably shouldn't have a 5% standard bet size. If you're playing 10 games on a Saturday, maybe it's two, two and a half percent, something like that. That's also part of the equation here too, in that you don't want your risk of ruin to be too high. Absolutely. It's a really great, really great point because if you um if you're a low volume better you can get away with something like that a lot easier if you have a bad saturday you didn't lose that much percentage of your bankroll you're still okay like you said i mean if you've got more than 50 percent of your bankroll at risk in one day i think you're doing something wrong so um definitely something to consider is you know how much do you want to risk in one day everybody can have a really bad day. Everybody can have a really good day. You know, uh, some of the days that I've gone 0 and 5 or something like that before, sometimes I'll have better say, have you ever gone 0 and 5 before? Yeah, of course I have. Everybody's gone 0 and 5 before. You know, I mean, the people who tell you they haven't are lying and they, you know, it's not somebody you want to follow because they're being dishonest. So, um, you know, everybody has 5 and 0 days. Everybody has 0 and 5 days. If you bet a larger percentage of games or if you bet a larger number of games, then there's going to be a lot more swings. There's more volatility to it. So like Adam said, that definitely plays a big role as well. Well, and, and when you think about it, I mean, look, you know, you're, let's say that, you know, your target is, is to probably win, you know, eight more bets out of every hundred than you lose. It's to go 54 and 46. And if you're out there with 50% of your bankroll and play on a Saturday and you wind up on that 46 side all day, that's not great. You know? So you got to keep that in mind too. Again, you know, how many games are you playing? How much are you comfortable with having out there? Like these are all really important points uh, from a bankroll management standpoint. And Cody really appreciate the question. And as I said, uh, we'll have Brad powers on Thursday's show and we'll talk about this with him as well. So I'm not exactly sure how much of this we're going to keep doing since we're moving the show from Monday to Wednesday. Uh, But we usually talk about power ratings adjustments and, and stuff like that. And, you know, by Wednesday, the market's kind of settling in a little bit, kind of taking shape. So I don't know how much we'll do of this as we go forward, but there were a handful of teams that you and I wanted to discuss that we made some pretty big power ratings adjustments to. And I'll mention two of them on the plus side here. And I noticed that in my article over at ATS.io with my power ratings increases, I did mention UTEP twice accidentally, but I moved UTEP up seven points this week. And I moved Arkansas up six points. Those were my two biggest adjustments up in the marketplace. And you, know, you mentioned this to me before we even started recording today. Seems like UTEP is, is quite a bit improved from last season. And that's quite a surprise because they just haven't been a good football program for a very long period of time. The more noteworthy one, I think, is Arkansas because this is a team that I think is dramatically better than last year. I think a big part of it is that their coaching has been substantially upgraded. And that's a tough thing coming into a season to try and account for. They get, you know, Kendall Bryles as the OC. They get Barry Odom as the DC. Sam Pittman just seems like that fiery, high-intensity kind of head coach. And the talent that was there is pretty much still in the program with the exception of transfer Felipe Franks. But the coaching staff is maximizing it a lot more. And it takes some data points to actually see that. So I actually moved Arkansas up six points this week. Yeah, I moved them up five points. And I have to say what interests me the most about Arkansas is that, you know, you kind of think going into the season, if Arkansas is going to be a lot better, it's because Felipe Franks was really good. 
And honestly, he hasn't played that well. You know, this is just a much better coach team. The defense is clearly a lot better than they were last year. Uh, Arkansas really should have won that game the other day against Auburn. Very unfortunate to lose that game. Um, you know, we could talk about the officiating in that game, certainly, but um, Arkansas has been really good this season. I've been impressed with them. Uh, Missouri, another one I want to say, because they're in the SEC as well. I moved Missouri up three points. Uh, good coaching staff there, too. I think that that's a, a nice upgrade they've had. I'm really surprised they moved the football so easily against LSU. LSU has bigger problems, and, you know, we'll probably talk about them another time. But uh, Missouri getting a quarterback that looks to be a pretty big upgrade. And, um, you know, it's, I think up three was a fair move for Missouri. I only moved Missouri up two, but I, I think I might be a little bit low on that. So I, I think I probably will make another adjustment here uh, going into next week. And by the way, this weekend, you and I will be hard at work adding the Big Ten and the Mountain West uh, to our power ratings here as those conferences will get underway next week. A couple others I want to mention in passing here. Well, I guess I'll save one because uh, we're going to talk about the Wednesday night game here in a little bit between Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. I moved Houston up three and a half points as well. And I was still short on the number against BYU. We saw a pretty influential group hit that BYU line earlier on in the week. Uh, but Houston, a team that, you know, I thought I was kind of close to the market on coming into the season, but I was low on last week's number. I had to make an adjustment to them. I also did move Tulane down for what it's worth. Uh, but I moved Houston up three and a half points. And based on where the market sits this week, uh, that still wasn't enough for the Cougars. Yeah, I moved Houston up two and a half points, and maybe that wasn't enough. I do think, though, it was only a one-game sample size. And uh, do we know what Tulane is? You know, I moved Tulane Not down three. Good. Right, Tulane. I mean, they they ran up, what was it, 66 points on Southern Miss, I think it was. But I think that says more about Southern Miss than it does about Tulane. Tulane lost the Navy in the fashion that they did. And then, I mean, you know, we could, we could talk about that game endlessly, the Houston-Tulane game, as far as how misleading it was. Uh, Houston was tremendous in that game, but I, I do wonder if that was more about Tulane just not being as good as we think. So I was a little bit cautious to move up Houston too much. I did move, move uh, UTEP up five and a half points. Uh, they were just so low. You know, you're moving from such a low point. I think UTEP had to go up pretty quickly, just if they're even mildly competitive. And then Louisiana Tech also in that game, I moved down six points. I've been too high on Louisiana Tech for a long time. Um, I didn't want to continue to be too high on them because it's clear that they're not the same version they've been in the last few seasons. And, and that's a tough one, you know, because I, I always talk about the, the dilemma that I have with a team like Florida state where the talent is still good, but they're not playing well. So I always have a hard time adjusting teams like that. Louisiana tech recruits pretty well. They hit the Juco market extremely well. They've been a very consistent program for what over a decade now, pretty much. But this year, they're not that team. And, and like you, I was a little bit slow to react on it, trying to give them the benefit of the doubt based on their reputation. I moved them down four and a half points this week, and I still don't think it's enough. Uh, so that's probably one I will make another adjustment to. One other one, and you mentioned them already, uh, Southern Miss down four points for me. And, and we're kind of at the point now where you can start regrading some of those performances. And, and the idea that you know Tulane just doesn't look the part to me. They don't look impressive but they hung 66 on Southern Miss probably needed to make an adjustment to the golden Eagles. Also, my line was a little bit uh, off market this week. So I moved them down four points. And again, that may not be enough, but I talked about this in the article and I'm sure you have teams like this too. 
year in and year out, I never have a good power rating on Southern Miss. And I don't know why, but I'm always chasing them one way or the other for whatever reason. I just don't have a good pulse on that team. And I guess out of 130 FBS teams, I mean, it's going to happen here and there, but Southern Miss is annually the one that I cannot get right. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I I can think of a lot of college basketball teams that have done that to me in the past few years where it feels like they're Jekyll and Hyde and you don't know what to do with them. I'd say UTSA has been a bit of a hard team for me to rate this year in college football. And, you know, their performance last week against BYU, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I think that that was more indicative of BYU having a really sleepy spot than it was thinking UTSA is just a lot better. But they've been a hard team for me to rate. I agree. Southern Miss, you can go back and kind of regrade those games. And also, they lose to La Tech. Um, I believe that game was at home. That doesn't look as good now because Louisiana Tech doesn't seem like they're very good. So that's another one where you say, okay, that was not a very good look. And especially we say about Tulane. So, you know, we are at the point of the season where when you have multiple data points to look at, you can kind of say, okay, this isn't just a fluke. It keeps happening over and over. Now, I made a natural adjustment down one and a half points on Pitt, and I also moved Syracuse down three points. But those are two teams with quarterback injuries here this week. Uh, Pitt, Kenny Pickett, he's questionable. We'll see if he's able to go. Syracuse won't have Tommy DeVito. Uh, I mean, they suck something awful anyway. So I had to move them down a little bit. But uh, those were the two injuries. I guess I'm curious to hear how you reacted to them as well. Yeah, Pitt, I didn't know what to do with. Um, uh, Pickett, questionable. And I will say that, while I don't think Pickett's very good, I don't think he's really that good of a player. It's concerning to me when Pat Narduzzi is asked, who's going to be your quarterback if he doesn't play? And he says, I really have no idea. You know, I just, I, I have no clue. I mean, you would kind of think that that would be something you would have a good idea of at this point in the season. So I have Pitt down one and a half points as well. I would have wanted to bet Pitt this week. I think that Pitt could have been a good play this week if Pickett were healthy. Miami not in a very good spot after playing Clemson in that really big game. Pitt usually plays a lot of close games, but without knowing if Pickett's going to play, that's one that I'm going to have to stay away from. Uh, Syracuse, to me, um, a team that has multiple injury issues, DeVito, uh, DeVito to Culpepper is a bit of a downgrade. Downgrade, I'd say probably one point is, is a fair move for him. Uh, Cisco in the secondary for Q's is a bigger loss, though. He, uh, this is a defense that really doesn't have that much talent. He was their best defensive player by a lot. Um, so you know, Syracuse down, down three and a half points for me, and, I, and that's mainly because their defense didn't look good the other day. That's for sure. After they had kind of confused a few people and then, you know, both of the injury concerns, you know, uh, I, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of college football cause I was, I was out of town for the weekend, but uh, man, Miami got bent over by Clemson. Uh, okay. That was just pure domination. I guess that's a good transition into taking a look at some box scores, maybe some misleading things or some things that just made a whole hell of a lot of sense. Clemson 550 to 210 in yards, 34 to 9 in first downs. I talked about that game last week with Brad, and I said, look, I want to see Clemson play a full four quarters because they haven't had to in a while. They sure as hell did in this game. And in (laughs) fact, they tried to play all the way until the final whistle, uh, much to the chagrin of people that were on the under in that game. Yeah, that was that was really something. Are you on the under? No, I didn't have that game. No, I, I, I watched it knowing what the total was kind of thinking, I, I don't know what to root for here. I feel, I would feel bad for people with the under, but 
Uh, that was that was a really interesting final to that game. Uh, Clemson just blew them out in that game. And I will say, it's going to be interesting as I've been looking at the Big Ten here in recent weeks. I'm going to have Clemson and Ohio State really closely in my power ratings. So um, I think it'll be interesting when we talk next week to talk about what we have, you know, Clemson and Ohio State rated at. I think they'll be just about even for me. So uh, Clemson really played well. Uh, they can sometimes play down to competition, but they got up for that game. That's for sure. Um, one, I would say kind of just interesting stat, uh, Georgia Tech with 8.0 yards per play against Louisville. And that's another team you had to move down in power ratings quite a bit. Louisville has really disappointed me so far this year. I thought they'd be quite a bit better than they are. Seems like they might need a new defensive coordinator. Their offense moves well uh, with Malik Cunningham, but uh, the defense is a real problem for them. And I, I'm surprised that Georgia Tech could do that well against Louisville. I'm shocked at how bad Louisville is. I mean, I, I only moved him down a point. I, I guess I'm trying to give Scott Satterfield the benefit of the doubt here. I really expected them to be better. I mean, I didn't expect them to compete with Clemson necessarily, but I expected them to be you know, the second best team in that division by a pretty clear margin. And, and they are not. I mean, they look terrible. And they did have 471 yards in that game. They were minus three in turnovers, all of them fumbles, but in the second half, I mean, they got taken to the woodshed. What was it? 32 to seven in the second half or something like that. You don't see that from a good coach like Scott Satterfield. There's some sort of short circuit with that Louisville team. I don't know what it is. I obviously it's probably on the defensive side. I don't know if it's the DC. I don't know if it's just players that don't fit the scheme. I don't know what it is, but they're, they're kind of a stone cold over team and maybe a second half fade too. Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised too, and especially the second half thing. You know, you would think as good a coach as him, they would play better in the second half, but that hasn't been the case now in multiple games. And and for them to have the lead against Georgia Tech and then go down that way was really surprising. Um, you know, a couple others that I would point out: uh, Missouri averaged 8.6 yards per play against LSU. I mean, my goodness, that Tigers defense. Um, that that LSU defense. I guess both of them Tigers, but you know, if you look at LSU. This is one where I would have never expected them to be that bad. And I, I think that um, Ed Orgeron is going to get quite a bit of heat pretty fast at LSU. You know, he had the one year where they were very good. Uh, they lost a lot. And I think we have to be fair to him to say that they really lost a lot from last year, but a really bad start for them this season. And I, um, I think that, you know, Missouri has been a lot better than I would have expected. LSU's defense being a lot worse than I expected, but, a couple others that I wanted to note here real quickly, just as interesting stats. Um, I was really surprised that Tennessee wasn't a little bit more competitive against Georgia, especially when the game started the way it did. You know, Tennessee gets really fortunate at the beginning of the game, but then proceeds to only get 3.44 yards per play against Georgia. Now, I know that says a lot about Georgia's defense. Georgia is an excellent defense, but um, Tennessee, I don't know if their offense is good enough. I think Garantano is an issue there for Tennessee. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with Tennessee. I mean, I did like Georgia in that game. I had an overlay on Georgia, especially as that line uh, was moving down. I think I had it 17 and a half. It was 14 earlier in the week and then kind of got down to, to 12 and a half and 12. And Georgia just kind of took over in the second half. And we'll talk about Georgia, Alabama here in a little bit, because I know that's a game that uh, you know we've kind of seen a little bit of an interesting discussion on out there uh, based on that line. I got a few more here. Alabama. I mean, look, they scored 63 points. They had 723 yards. They only had th seven third down attempts in that game. So early down success 
absolutely off the charts for the Crimson Tide. They were six for seven on third down, by the way. But defensively, what in the hell happened? I mean, I know Ole Miss was doing a lot of pre-snap stuff, kind of trying to move them around. Ole Miss has two mobile quarterbacks, so they've got a pretty good offense there with the lane train, but you don't see people moving on Alabama's defense like that, and it was very interesting to watch. Yeah, it was. You know, to me, uh, Alabama, uh, I think a lot of people are going to give up a lot of points to Ole Miss. I'll say that first of all. Ole Miss plays really fast, and they're very efficient on offense. I really like that Ole Miss offense. Uh, I think if you bet team total overs with Ole Miss this year, you'll do well. You know, and now it's going to be a lot higher than it was because of what happened last week. But I think they're going to score a lot of points. So um, it makes this weekend's game against Georgia look pretty interesting, Alabama and Georgia. And obviously that's a a really high profile game. But um, I'm not sure what to make of Alabama's defense. Like you said, Alabama's offense was so dominant in that game that, you know, it didn't end up mattering because (laughs) pretty crazy that you only had that many third downs and then when you get to third down you convert it almost every time anyways but clearly a, a game that would have to concern Nick Saban at least some yeah definitely I would think so and uh, just running through a few more box scores here really quickly uh, Duke and Syracuse was fascinating Duke outgained Syracuse 645 to 286 36 to 11 in first downs and Duke was minus four in turnover margin so that was that was an interesting one as their turnover woes continued once again Citadel and the Army, I thought, or, or not the Army, Citadel, the Citadel and Army, I thought that was a fascinating box score because Citadel was three for 13 on third down. Army was three for 12. They had 200, Citadel had 218 yards. Army had 228. Citadel had 70 passing yards. Army had 75. Citadel had 148 rushing yards. Army had 143. Two interceptions for each team. Like the box score almost mirrored itself on both sides, which to be totally honest with you, probably not a great look for Army. So I did wind up moving them down a little bit uh, in my power ratings from last week's game. A couple other ones here quickly. Boston College, only 72 rushing yards from their running backs. Jerkovic was sacked six times for the second time this season. Looks like Boston College has massive offensive line issues. So that'll be something to follow when they face pretty good defenses. And two other ones here. And I know you have got a note on Florida State here as well. Florida State had more fourth down conversions in the game against Notre Dame going three for three than they had third down conversions going two for 14. So that was an interesting step. And one other one here. I know Iowa State's got a good defense, at least certainly the last few years. They've been one of the best ones in the Big 12. And I know that Alan Bowman is banged up for Texas Tech. Did play part of the game. Uh, Columbia played the other part. But Texas Tech, in that game against Iowa State, 1 for 14 on third and fourth down. They were 0 for 10 on third down. I don't think Matt Wells is really working out as expected in Lubbock. No, I don't think so either. I think uh, pretty disappointing. And like you said, Iowa State's a good defense, especially relative to to the Big 12. But but really disappointing for them. I think that... uh, you know, Texas Tech, we expect them to move the football at ease, and, and you know, they haven't been able to do that at all. I think Florida State, um, Jordan Travis, I think he's questionable this week. The last I read, he's banged up a bit. I think that's an important injury note because I think Jordan Travis is an upgrade compared to Blackman. You know, um, his running ability is really something that added something for Florida State. So I, I think Florida State's offense does need Jordan Travis there. So uh, we'll see if he's ready to go or not. A couple more I want to note. Um, 
You know, uh, LaTeX and UTEP, we've talked a lot about this game, and I apologize for listeners that think, wow, you're talking a lot about UTEP and Louisiana Tech, but you know, we like to go pretty deep here. And uh, UTEP had 4.0 yards per play, Louisiana Tech 3.0 yards per play. There was some weather in this game, so that's part of it, but is the UTEP defense actually decent, or is, is Louisiana Tech's offense just struggling that much? I did want to Let point out – Let me interrupt out- you for a second there on that one because – these are important things to note. I know most people out there going, I don't give a shit about UTEP and La Tech, but you know what? Sports books will adjust to Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Miami and all these other top teams. They're going to be a little bit slower to react to the fact that maybe UTEP isn't the worst team in college football this year. By the way, I think it's Louisiana Monroe for what it's worth. Maybe UTEP isn't the worst team in college football this year. And I moved them up a touchdown. You moved them up, what, five and a half points, I think you said? So maybe UTEP is a team that we want to play on. As ridiculous as that sounds, maybe LaTeX is a team we want to fade and maybe the books don't catch on to those things as quickly because they're going to pay attention to the games with the highest handles, with the most action, the most interest. Any game with LaTeX and UTEP doesn't fit that definition. That's where you find value in making adjustments on these under-the-radar teams. Absolutely. And, you know, once we start talking about college basketball, that's going to be why I want to talk about Cal Poly or UC Irvine or something like that instead of North Carolina and Duke. And, and it's for the same reasons that, like, like you just said right there, you know, we're not going to get as quick of an adjustment on a team like this. There's not going to be the same kind of handle on their games. And who would really want to bet UTEP? I mean, and nobody would be too anxious to bet UTEP. And I, I'll be honest and say I'm not eager to bet UTEP but at the same time if if it looks like there might be value on them then sometimes you kind of have to hold your nose and say it looks like this might be the right bet so um, definitely one to, to keep in mind and I think that looking at this under these under the radar ones will help listeners more than those ones that are the big name ones so um, a couple of the others here I had Marshall 38 uh, Western Kentucky 14 this should have been a lot closer Marshall was 5.4 yards per play to 4.6 yards per play for Western Kentucky the Hilltoppers with a negative three turnover margin. They were two for 12 on third down. So Marshall's better than Western Kentucky, certainly, but Western Kentucky didn't play as bad as that score would indicate. Um, Oklahoma and Texas. So we're talking about a, a major game here, mainly because Texas, this is twice this has happened. They've had really high scoring games that shouldn't have been really high scoring. Oklahoma had 4.9 yards per play in this game. Texas, 4.8 yards per play. Texas's defense has really been pretty good this year. Um, and I think there could be some value on some unders with Texas going forward. They do play quickly. So you're going to want to have a high total if you take an under here. But Texas's defense has been pretty good. And there's been some fluke high scoring games, uh, this one and then the Texas Tech game as well. I guess the only the only uh, devil's advocate point I would make is I don't know if there's value on any under in 2020 with the way college football and the NFL are going here. I guess we should talk about this one really quickly. I know we're uh, we're stretching this a little bit long here, but you and I both mentioned this game in our notes here, the Mississippi State and Kentucky game, because again, these are two higher profile teams. I mean, Mississippi State threw six interceptions in this game. Kentucky won 24 to two and 157 yards of offense. So that was a really weird, very strange kind of game there to say the least. 
Yeah, I, I watched the majority of this game. And I will say this is one of those where I was watching the game and um, my wife, who is a sports fan, says to me, why are we watching this game? Can we watch something else? And I said, I have a bet on this game. Oh, OK. You know, like she was wondering why that game was on the main TV. And I said, oh, I have a bet on this game. Just Mississippi State was moving the ball much better than Kentucky was, at least. You know, Kentucky wasn't doing anything on offense. Um, 3.0 yards per play for Kentucky. They can't throw. They have to run the ball. If you can stop Kentucky from running, they're not going to do anything. Wilson has really not looked good. I'm really surprised that the Auburn transfer has not gotten more of a run here at Kentucky. I would think that that he will at some point. Uh, Kentucky 24 to two is is arguably you know one of the most misleading finals I've seen. Yeah, it's uh, they miss Lynn Bowden Jr. really bad. I mean, it's like, it's like they threw the ball much last year either. But I mean, their running game was just unstoppable. And it's funny. I mean, two weeks ago. They ran it down Ole Miss's throat for over 400 yards. Last week, they can't run on Mississippi State. It's it's sort of tough to project a team like that. And, you know, I think that that's something that we'll have to focus on as we go forward here with Kentucky is, you know, what do we do with them? I think we'll get, you know, an idea of, of just how Jekyll and Hyde they are when they take on Tennessee this week in that massive rivalry game uh, in that noon time slot. One thing that listeners have kind of requested that we do, I know you got an email about this, is, Looking at some regression stats, looking at some either positive or negative expectation towards the mean here for some of these teams, we're starting to get some more data points. A few teams have played, I think, five games is the most. A few teams have played four, stuff like that. So we've got a handful of those to talk about here before we get to some highlight game breakdowns. Yeah, and and while um, you know some of the other things that we've talked about, it might be a little bit harder to do on a Wednesday. I think the regression stats it'll be pretty easy for me to have a, a good amount of these on Wednesdays because you know as I pour through the data and try to try to see what to be looking at, um, I'll just jot these down as I go. But uh, there's a couple of these that really stand out to me. I'm going to start with what I think is probably the best regression stat I've seen so far this year. USF is two for thirteen on fourth down so far this year. It's hard to be that bad on fourth down. I know they've been losing in a lot of games, so they've had to go for it on fourth down. On the other end, though, USF opponents have gone seven for seven on fourth down. So there has to be some kind of positive regression coming. I will say I definitely lean toward USF in this weekend's game. And I think betting USF sometime soon probably should have some value because they are a positive regression candidate. I'm not really anxious to bet on a team like this because I don't think they're very good. But, you know, you give me enough points, there could be some value on USF. Yeah, that was one that I pointed out uh, in my notes as well. And I mean, look, last week, it, it wasn't a great look against East Carolina. I actually had that line pick them. So I was way off the market and I was right uh, on that game and on East Carolina. But USF was able to throw the football a little bit in the second half. And that's something they haven't done in any of their games here so far. So at least that was kind of a positive sign for them. One thing that I think that, you know, you and I are both guilty of, and a lot of people out there in the business are guilty of not looking at special teams enough. You mentioned uh, the punt block team for Kansas state last week. Uh, Houston has one kick return for 97 yards. That will regress. Liberty has two punt return touchdowns already. That will also regress. So, you know, you might want to look for some of those things too. The kicking game, kickoff returns, punt returns, punting in general, stuff like that. Uh, you look for some of those special teams outliers because as we've already seen here in college football, as well as the NFL field position is very important because you're giving up points on a lot of possessions this year uh, with the way that these offenses are going. So if you've got a team that sucks on special teams, it's probably going to hurt them and quite significantly here in 2020. 
Yeah, and uh, I'm going to continue on the Liberty thought for just a second because Liberty played UL Monroe last week, and I watched some of that game. Monroe is just terrible. I mean, I had watched all the bad games last uh, week. I know it's it's no wonder my wife wanted me to change the channel, right? I mean, she wanted to divorce you. (laughs) Well, that's a little bit harsh, but no. Um, She she knows I'm a sports better, and I'm going to watch these under the radar games. But no, yeah, you're right. I mean, I I picked some really terrible games. I had the over in UL Monroe and Liberty, and I guess that was about the only game that didn't go over the other day. But but um, I split on the weekend. Uh, not a terrible thing if you're usually betting unders when the over went 20 and 9. But, uh, you know, UL Monroe was just absolutely terrible in that game. Um, their punter went to punt the ball once, just dropped the ball before he could even punt it. And, and Liberty picks it up. And then I believe it was the next time uh, they punt and Liberty runs it back. And basically it was untouched. You know, you and I could have ran it back. It was ridiculous. And, and uh, Monroe just looked like a absolutely hapless team. You have to have them at the bottom of your power ratings. Uh, Liberty's uh, special teams looked a lot better than what they really are. And I think Monroe's going to do that to a lot of teams this year. Um, LSU nine for 39 on third down this year, better numbers coming there for sure. I mean, they can't continue to do that badly. You and I both had pointed out too. Florida opponents have gone 27 for 46 on third down this year, 58.6%. Um, they have to be better than this. Luca. you know, I don't think Florida's defense is as bad as it looks so far this year. Another defense that I think, uh, I'll point out, and I already said this, so maybe I stole the thunder a little bit um, with what I said earlier. Texas's defense is 19th in yards per play allowed, which is really solid. They're 66th in points per game allowed, which I think there's, what, 73 teams playing so far this year or something, and we're about to add to that next week. But Texas has given up a lot of points compared to their yards per play. I think there's 76 or 77, but like Air Force has only played once. So, yeah. you know, you don't really want to count them. Uh, what, UMass plays this week, I think, right? Against Georgia Southern. Um, Exciting. Yeah, you'll be watching that game. Um, <laughs> UL Monroe, by the way, 14 for 69 on third down. So that's not very nice. 20.3%. So their punter gets a lot of work for, for not being very good at what he does. Uh, Syracuse, 21.7% on third down, 13 for 60 that may not positively regress much because as we mentioned already, they've got some quarterback injury concerns now. So looking for third down success rate, both for and against, I think is important. Uh, Notre Dame eight for 44 against they've gotten off the field a lot. That probably won't continue, especially playing in a pretty good offensive conference like the ACC and South Carolina opponents are only six for 31 on third down against them. That probably won't continue either. I think their defense is okay, but six for 31, I mean, that's outlandishly good. Uh, so that's something I would definitely look to uh, to go against a little bit here. Uh, one other one I thought was really interesting. This one's kind of strange, and, and bear with me a little bit. TCU has allowed 28 plays of 10 or more yards. That's tied for seventh best in the country, but 10 of those plays have gone for 40-plus yards, which is 75th. So they're like a real boom or bust kind of defense here where they've given up some really long plays, but on the whole have actually played really well in terms of limiting explosive plays against. What was it? Can you repeat that stat again? It was uh, 28 plays of 10 or more yards, which is tied for seventh, 10 plays of 40 or more yards, which is 75th defensively. Yeah. And if you look at their 
last year it was not nearly as uh you know strange as that so i they they were fourth in least amount of 10 yard plays allowed last year they were 53rd in least amount of uh 20 yard plays so maybe they're a little bit you know um um all or nothing they're very aggressive defense but when you sent me that one, I, I'll admit I hadn't seen that one, and that is a really extreme case. I, I I have to think that that goes back a little bit toward normal, but it's good. It's a good thing to point out because TCU um, is is a team that I thought would be better on defense than they've been so far this year. They were helped last week by the fact that uh, Thompson was out for Kansas State, and I believe he's out for the season now. So um, you know, Kansas State. I don't know that it's a huge drop off um, to Howard. He's not as good of a passer, but. Uh, I think they were helped by the fact that Thompson wasn't playing last week, but you know, a couple others that I'm going to point out as far as regression stats here real quick, North Carolina is fourth in yards per play so far this year. They're 19th in points per game. This North Carolina offense is still really good. I did have the over in North Carolina and Virginia tech. And I will say I watched this game too. So I think that to be fair, that one's a, a little bit better game than the others that we've been talking about, but uh, North Texas, the other one, 10 scores and 17 trips into the red zone extreme fast pace from them and you have to think they're going to convert a little bit better in the red zone well and a note that we missed was that charlotte had 8.6 yards per play against north texas last weekend so if the north texas offense picks it up a little bit and you would think that just almost by accident they should probably do a little bit better in the red zone we see that total this week going up from 68 and a half to 72 against middle tennessee so Again, if you pay attention to these stats, pay attention to the box scores, you can get out there and get a little bit of line value as well. All right, so we get to some game breakdowns here. I know we talked about a lot of different notes, and I know a lot of people just want to listen to stuff for picks, but I want to be more than that. I want to be more than that kind of show. We got a lot of stuff that you can carry over, not just into this week, but into future weeks as well, looking at these teams, our power ratings adjustments, stuff like that. But we do want to hit on some games here, and This one on Wednesday night, the standalone game in the fun belt between Coastal Carolina and Louisiana Lafayette. Didn't wear my Coastal's Chanticleers hat today. I didn't want to give off uh, any illusion of bias or anything like that. But this one's gone up through the key number of seven. It's touching eight now at some places in the global markets here. Total on this game, 58 and a half. And we kind of deliberately kept from pointing out that Coastal Carolina is probably an offensive regression candidate. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think that Coastal Carolina could keep doing what they've done so far on offense. And I will say, um, this is an interesting line because you could have had six and a half earlier this week if you liked Louisiana. So um, I'd hate to lay eight. I mean, why would you want to lay eight when you could add six and a half? You know, I think this is where setting the market and seeing where this line might go is really important. Um, you know, 71% of the bets here on Coastal Carolina, 66% of the money is on Louisiana. So as you said, uh, when we were talking before we got on here, this looks like a public sharp split. I have to say, I don't have any strong lean in this game as far as uh, the side. I wanted to like the over, but the, the number was higher than I wanted here. My number was exactly 58 or 58 and a half. I can't remember. So um it looks like I had 58 and a half in this one. So I'm right on the number on both. I think I would still lean to the over, but you know, as we were talking about the regression stats for coastal Carolina's offense had me scared a little bit. I think Louisiana will score here pretty easily. I don't think coastal's defense will be, will be good enough. I do think that it's kind of important to note though, that if you look at uh, coastal so far this year, they are plus 12 in sack margin through three games. 
I remember when I watched the Coastal and Kansas game earlier this year, this Coastal defensive line was putting all kinds of pressure on Kansas. I know it's Kansas, so, I mean, we have to be kind of cautious about how much we read into that. But Coastal's defensive line is good. They're they're an aggressive defense. They're going to give up a lot of big plays, too, though. Um, I will note that Louisiana's injury report is really long. I mean, if you look at their injury report, I'd be worried to lay a lot of points with them. So I think both teams really want to run the football here. Uh, So it's also hard to take an over when both teams really want to run a lot. Um, Lewis is a good quarterback for Louisiana as well. And Coastal's gotten good quarterback play so far this year. Um, Like I said, you know, Coastal has been really good so far this year. Plus 12 in sack margin is second in the country. They're also plus three in turnover margin. So is Louisiana. Louisiana's minus two in sack margin so far this year. Um, So, you know, as far as this game, no strong lean. I will say Coastal special teams have been better. And I agree with you that we should probably talk more about special teams than we have so far this year. So that's going to be something I'm going to try to do as we go forward. As we look at Coastal here, 59.5% on third down, 13 for 14 scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So I do think those are two areas where they will regress a little bit. Um, But this Coastal offense is also very good. So maybe they're able to continue some of those things. I guess we'll kind of wait and see. My line on this game was 8.5. In a traditional year, opener of 6.5, I have 8.5. I'm probably going to fire on Louisiana but they also had a game, you know, postponed because of COVID cases and, you know, all that. I I need a little bit more of an overlay in my power ratings this year to feel really comfortable playing some of these games. This was one of them. So no action for me tonight on this one, but an interesting game. And again, interesting movement out there, as you said, uh, with that sharp and public split and a lot of money coming in on this game because it's a standalone Wednesday night. Everybody was excited about Tuesday night NFL. Now we get fun belt Wednesdays. Uh, you know, we'll have Maction coming up during the week here soon, too. So, you know, again, maybe it's a good thing that we're going to cover, uh, you know, a lot of those under-the-radar types of teams here with a lot of people playing those types of games. Thursday night, we got a standalone game as well. Another one in the Sun Belt here. Georgia State, Arkansas State. This one opened five. It's down to three and a half. Total up to 73. Um, see, this one's 72 and a half, 73. This is a game that, you know, I don't really have as much to add, but because it's a Thursday night game, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. This one is moving against my power ratings a little bit where I had Arkansas State minus five. So I hit the opener, but I'm not hitting the line movement. Yeah, I don't know what side I like in this one. I kind of lean to the over. I know it's a really high number. I haven't checked the weather, so that's definitely something you want to check. Um, I wanted to point out uh, tempo change for both of these teams. And this is something I'll try to point out as we go forward as much as I can. Georgia State between plays. So how many seconds are they using between plays? Last year, 23.55 seconds between plays. And this year, 21.01. Arkansas State, 23.32 seconds between plays. This year, 20.13, really fast. Third fastest in the country and fourth fastest in the country, actually. So there's going to be a lot of snaps in this game. Um, Georgia State's defense has been a bit better than I thought they would be so far this year. However, they, you know, I I don't know that they're going to be able to continue that. They've only allowed 5.23 yards per play. Arkansas State has two good quarterbacks, a decent running game, and some good receivers. Uh, Georgia State's been really good in the red zone so far this year. Maybe they can't continue that, but uh, I think I would lean to the over in this game based on the tempo. Like I say, you know, if two teams are using only about 20 seconds between plays, you're going to see a lot of snaps in this one. 
Yeah, the only thing I worry about is Arkansas State, you know, still doing that quarterback rotation thing, kind of moving guys in and out and all that. That's, that's the only thing I would worry about. But, you know, they, they put up some big offensive numbers last week, albeit against, what, Central Arkansas, I believe. Uh, so, you know, maybe they're kind of figuring out that two-quarterback system and both guys are now sharp and are getting reps and all that. But this is a total on the move. Weather doesn't look too bad for this game. Chance of rain could be a little bit chilly uh, down in Jonesboro for this one. But, you know, uh, again, the total is climbing on this game as the side comes down a little bit, which generally you wouldn't think of for Georgia State football. So an interesting seemingly correlation uh, with the side and total movement here from the sharp money that's on this game so far. Because, again, keep in mind, public betters are not playing this game until Thursday. Any movement on a game like that early on is respected money uh, of some degree. So that is something that you want to keep in mind with these weeknight games. With that, let's get to a highlight video breakdown here of game 109-110 on Friday night between BYU and Houston. Total on this game, 62.5 to 63. Side now, BYU minus five. And joined by Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper and better from huntersportspicks.com. This has been a game that's gotten a lot of line movement already this week. It was BYU four and a half down to three. Now BYU back up to five. Somebody with some pretty big influences hit both sides of this game already. Yeah, this is an interesting handicap. If you look at this game, BYU had been so good for many games in a row. And then they play one poor game against UTSA. So what do we want to say? Do we want to say that was a bad spot? a sleepy spot for them? Or do we want to say that BYU was overvalued? You know, it is fair to say BYU hasn't exactly played a murderer's row of opponents so far this year. So, you know, this is a a Navy is not nearly as good as what we thought they would be. And then, you know, Troy, not a great team by any means, also in a bad spot. Louisiana Tech traveling out there is not a good spot either for them. So I think that BYU, if you look at their stats, you would wonder why this number is what it is. You know, to me, this number is still a little bit too light. Uh, BYU is plus 3.36 yards per play. So that's first in the nation in yards per play margin so far this year. It's funny who's second, uh, Houston's second, but Houston's played one game. Um, They stuffed Tulane pretty well in that game. The 31 points by Tulane were very misleading. I do think, though, that, you know, you only have one data point to go off of for this Houston team. Do we want to assume that the Houston defense is really good just because they they did well against Tulane? I don't think so. I've really been impressed with Zach Wilson so far this year for BYU. I know I said before the season I wasn't even sure he was their best quarterback. Maybe he is. I will say BYU has some really good quarterbacks, excellent depth there, uh, very good options. BYU's uh, receivers have played better than I thought they would. They've really been good in the passing game. I think they can throw the ball here on Houston. I think both teams score a decent amount of points here. I think BYU will try to play slower and doesn't really want to get into one of those uh, real high-scoring games here. Houston would love to have a high-scoring game. I am a bit concerned for Houston that Clayton Toon does seem to have trouble um, with the football. You know, he he makes some bad decisions with the football. I think he'll be in some bad spots here because the offensive line's not very good. He's going to get sacked a lot. BYU is going to bring some pressure. Houston, to me, uh, it's a risk that they could be negative in the turnover margin again this week. And they're not going to be able to get away with being negative four in turnover margin and and beating somebody badly as they did against Tulane. Um, So, you know, this is one where I don't think that Houston is going to continue to be able to do that. I think Houston will move the football. Holgerson's a really good offensive mind. 
Houston has good skill position talent. I just think BYU is the much more complete team. So BYU plays one bad game last week. Then they go out. uh, uh, The marketplace goes against them, gets the number down to three. And then the market comes in and takes BYU minus three. Uh, My number is bigger than what the number is right now. So I still lean to BYU here in this game. I don't think that Houston has done enough to show me that I'd want to bet on them here. Well, and that was the thing, you know, for basically three weeks in a row, I was chasing BYU numbers. I was chasing my power rating on BYU. And now I have this game lined at eight. So I, I do have a pretty big overlay from the market. Uh, you know, obviously at minus three, it certainly looked very good at five. It's it's still not a bad play to take. Um, as you mentioned, you know, we've got one data point for Houston. It was a very strange game. I know they did everything they wanted offensively, except take care of the football and hung 49 points. Uh, one of the you know, most incredible box scores that you're going to see. But I think it's a really important point that you made. And if you've listened to the full edition of this podcast, and you certainly should hear on ATS radio, we've talked about how we've moved down Tulane. We've moved down La Tech. We've moved Navy around. These two teams of their data points, the teams that they played, you know, they aren't as good as we expected them to be or are worse than we thought they would be. So this is a step up in class both ways here for both of these teams. The difference is I think a BYU team that's been playing probably has a much better chance of looking crisper than Houston does just because they have played. I think their defense should play better than Houston's defense will. Again, I think BYU is the play here. Hopefully you got in at three or three and a half or four, something like that. But like I said, I don't think five is a bad number to take relative to where I have this line at minus eight. 61% 61% of the bets so far on BYU, 80% of the money is on BYU. And as far as the total, 52% of the bets on the over, 90% of the money on the over. So uh, somebody likes the over here too. I'm pretty neutral on this total. I think it's about right. Houston totals uh, are ones that I'd rather play overs with, but BYU I don't see as being a, a good team to bet really high overs with. I think they're going to play too slow for that. Sataki, not really a, a guy that wants to get into those 35 to 31 type games unless he really has to we'll be doing these shows and our highlight videos with kyle hunter on wednesdays now on ats radio making a change to the schedule here but if you subscribe to ats radio on spreaker stitcher spotify itunes iHeartRadio, google Podcasts, soundcloud wherever you stream and download your podcast content you're guaranteed to get the shows no matter when we do them so we encourage you to do that to check out our ats youtube and of course to go over to ats.io and check out all of the content that we have posted over there. All right, with that, let's go ahead and give ourselves a little bit of a break here before we do the next highlight video. And let's talk about this Georgia-Alabama game. Because, I mean, look, it's it's Georgia and Alabama. It's obviously a spotlight game. Best game of the year here at this point in time. Alabama, six, six and a half point favorite. Total, interestingly enough, has come down a decent amount to 56 and a half after Alabama played that track meet with Ole Miss last week. I think this is going to be one of those spots where we've got a public underdog in Georgia going up against, you know, the team that's a top three power rated team in everybody's power ratings every year in Alabama. And generally speaking, laying the uncomfortable favorite in those types of games winds up being the side to go with. Are you taking anything in this game? You know, um, this total I'll start with, um, when I, when I go through and I make the totals for the week, sometimes I put a big question mark by ones that I know I don't want anything to do with. That was This was one of the first ones that I immediately put a question mark by. I don't want to bet this total. There's no way. Um, you know, 
I assume we're going to see Stetson Bennett again for, for Georgia. I know that uh, there was some thought that JT Daniels might play and maybe he will play some this weekend. Bennett's been good enough. I think Georgia has really been so good primarily because of their defense. So, uh, you know, they're allowing 3.7 yards per play so far this year, 1.49 yards per carry, which is first in the country. Um, that's going to be tested in a big way in this game. Alabama's first in the nation in eight, with 8.66 yards per play. Obviously, last week helped that a lot with running it up, uh, you know, just scoring really easily against Ole Miss. I don't know what to do with this game. I, I think I would lean toward taking Georgia and the points here. But like you said, I'm not anxious to take a public underdog. Um, and I also think that, you know, Bama's a tough team to go against unless you're getting a full touchdown. Um, am I going to get a full touchdown here? I don't think so. I think everybody would take um, Georgia plus seven or seven and a half. So I think if we see a seven, it probably won't be around very long. Is that is that what you would assume? Yeah, that's what I would assume. And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I saw a lot of discussion right away. You know, what do you make the Georgia and Alabama line? You know, is it three? Is it three and a half? Is it four? And, you know, I was I was sitting at the bar kind of thinking about it when I saw that on Twitter. And, and I'm like, my number is going to be in the six range. You know, so I'm curious to see how much of an overreaction there actually is to the fact that Georgia's looked good and Alabama has looked good in certain areas. And sure enough, this line came out six and it's exactly where I think it should be. And I think people will kind of disagree with that sentiment. The question here is, do we get sharp involvement either way in this game? Because my guess is that we I mean, they, we will, but I don't think we'll get any that moves the line. I don't think we'll get any that counterbalances what I expect to be public underdog money. And there will be some people that go, I'm betting on Alabama because it's Alabama. I think money is pretty split in this game. I don't think this line has to move. I think this is a great spot for the odds makers here where they're not going to get middled. They're not going to have to move to a key number. They're not going to have to do anything except let money pour in on this game. And how it finishes I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't know if the Alabama defense is what we is better than what we've seen so far. I don't know if the Georgia defense is as good as we've seen so far. I don't even know if I'm going to live bet this game, but I will watch it because it's Georgia and Alabama. It's just one of those games that I don't think there's a lot of value for betting on it. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll be watching this game. I mean, unless uh, I'm watching Monroe on the TV or something like that. <laughs> FIU and Charlotte. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, but I will say, as I look at the the line right now, 56, the total is interesting. I, like I said, I don't want to bet this total, but 56 feels like it's getting pretty low for an Alabama game, the way they've been playing this year. Um, I'd be scared to take under 56. I think that Georgia will have to score some points here if they're going to stay in this game. I don't think... Uh, Alabama is going to get shot down totally. I think this Georgia defense is one of the best defenses we'll see this year, but I think there is going to be pressure on Stetson Bennett or uh, JT Daniels. If he actually does play here, I think that, uh, you know, this Georgia defense has really, really played well so far this year, but you go back and you look and see who they've played so far. And you think, I mean, has anybody really tested them in a way that would make you feel like they're ready for, for Alabama's offense? You know, to me, I don't see anybody on the schedule that they've played so far this year that would make me feel very comfortable that they can uh, just stuff Alabama. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to stop Alabama easily. So uh, Mac Jones has really looked good. You know, I think he's a better quarterback than most people think he is. Um, I, I guess all this is to say, I'm sorry, but I don't really have a lean in this game. 
No, that's fine. I mean, again, it's it's a game that we're going to talk about, so I'll crowdsource opinions on it. But uh, I will tell you this, for our ATS Radio listeners, tune in tomorrow because I know Brad Powers is going to have a very good stat uh, about Alabama assistant coaches because that's one that nice. comes up all the time, uh, you know, with regards to Nick Saban and how well he does against guys that, you know, were on his staff previously. With that, we'll get to a highlight video breakdown here and finish up our college football coverage on this edition of ATS Radio. I'm joined, of course, by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll talk about Cincinnati and Tulsa, game 147-148. Cincinnati down to a three-point favorite, total creeping down as well. 44, pretty much the market-wide number for this game. I wonder if we might have a difference of opinion here on this one, Kyle, but I'll let you have the floor first. Well, I want to start with uh, the weather report. So this could change, obviously, but um, it's looking like 20 miles per hour sustained winds with gusts up to 30 miles per hour. So that certainly has a role in why this total has gone down. And this one, um, I want to bet Tulsa. I've talked to you before that I I think Tulsa is a good team. Uh, They're they're number one in defensive havoc so far this year. I really like what I've seen from this defensive line. I think Tulsa's defense is much, much improved this year. Desmond Ritter's play concerns me for Cincinnati. He has not been very good. He was good two years ago, injured a lot last year, was not very good last year. So that would make you think I want to take Tulsa in this game. But three, I can't take Tulsa at three here. My number was five, Cincinnati by five. So uh, I've upgraded Tulsa. I've actually downgraded Cincinnati a little bit. But um, I think Tulsa might be getting a little bit too much respect at this point. If you like Tulsa, maybe you want to take the money line. I think that it's certainly possible that they could win this game. Um, you know, from, from this standpoint, I think the under makes sense because of the weather. Under 44 is a tough one to take. I think Cincinnati unders in, in general this year are going to have value. I think Cincinnati is a really good defensive team. Offensively, they don't really have much of an identity. Having said that, Cincinnati's offensive line is pretty good. Tulsa is not going to get in the backfield as easily as they have against some of the other teams. Um, I think I lean towards Cincinnati here. So I'm curious what your take is. Yeah, this is one where I agree with you. I think that, you know, the perception of Tulsa has gotten a little bit big. My number on this game is seven and I have upgraded Tulsa this season. I really haven't downgraded Cincinnati too much because I'm kind of curious to see what they do when they're actually invested and engaged, you know, much like, and this is a this is an awful comparison because Cincinnati and Clemson are not the same team, but Clemson finally got tested by somebody and they showed what they're capable of. I don't think Cincinnati has really had a game to this point where they're kind of like, all right, you know, we got something to prove here. I don't think they played a full 60 really yet. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. One thing I will say, and this is something I probably have not expressed enough either on the show or in my power ratings article over at ATS.io is that, it's a pure power rating number. So my number is seven in this game, but the total is 44. So I would regress my power rating back a little bit into the five, five and a half range where your number is just because it's a lot harder to get margin in a game with a low posted total. So pure power rating number is seven adjusted number with the low total brings it down to five and a half or five. And I will express that thought a little bit more fully in my power ratings update for next week. But with that being said, Cincinnati is a team that, to me, you know, was a top 20 power rated team coming into the year. And while they haven't looked the part, I don't think they've necessarily done anything to make me think all that differently about them as of yet. That could change after Saturday. But for now, at three and with some reasonably juiced threes out there, 
Cincinnati is the side for me. I think this line is just too low at this point in time. And again, full marks to Tulsa, and I've made adjustments on Tulsa, but you know, I don't think that Cincinnati has really done anything to get disrespected to this degree, at least not as of yet. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think that Tulsa winning at UCF, I did have Tulsa in that game, even had a little bit on the money line, so I was happy to get that. On the other hand, the fact that Tulsa won that game outright really made their perception go up really fast here. You know, and I think that if Tulsa had lost, you know, by 14 points or something, we wouldn't see this line at three. So um, Cincinnati's not a team that's going to win by margin a lot. You know, Luke Fickle is not a guy that's going to run up the score. They're going to run the football a lot when they're ahead, take their 14 or 20 point win, not win by 28 or 35. So I agree with you from that standpoint. And I also think that's a great point that, you know, when I said five, it, that's just my raw power ratings number as well. So I, I think I'd make this four or four and a half based on what the total is, because there are strong angles that look, it's very proven that the lower the total is the underdog's going to do better. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's going to be less points in the game. If you can grab grab uh, five or six points, it means a lot more uh, when the total's at 44 than it would if the total was at 54 or something like that. So I think that's a great point. And like you said, one that we should point out more often. Well, always good to do these highlight videos here on our editions of ATS Radio. Make sure you subscribe to our ATS YouTube page. Check out all the fine content over at ATS.io and subscribe to the full editions here of ATS radio before we transition over to the NFL side. I know we're running a little bit long here with today's show. Cause we had a lot of notes early on anything else on the college side you want to mention. I think the army and uh, UTSA game is kind of interesting. I think army played. Do. Yeah. <laughs> I should have said something even worse than that. I guess, <laughs> but what would I, I would have had to talk this, about this Southern, Southern like Miss we, and UTEP. You want to talk about that? This <laughs> is like when we used to do the pick six segment. And I would right. give you just the most dog shit games I could possibly <laughs> find on the card. Oh, man. Right, what no, is it about I, Army and UTSA? What? I should have said UMass and Georgia Southern. That would have been the best oh, one. Man. But but no, Army and UTSA, I think Army played their the backup quarterback last week. So we'll see if Army's uh, starting quarterback is back for this game. Uh, UTSA, a team that has played better so far this year. And I, I know that they played well last week. I see this line has moved from seven to seven and a half. I was going to say, I kind of lean Army here in this game at seven. I think there still are a few sevens out there. Um, yeah, DraftKings has a seven. Circa has a seven. So there are still some sevens here. I think UTSA getting a little bit of credit from what they did last week against BYU. Maybe a bit too much credit in that one. I also leaned to the under in this game, thinking Army games are going to be really low scoring. They're going to run the football every time. I'll almost never throw it. So uh, my lean's in that one, Army and the under. I, I guess the last thing I'll say on college football, and I'll, I'll make a, a really bad joke here, I think COVID is minus 19 in the LSU Florida game. I don't think there's any chance that thing gets played. I mean, Florida's uh, got what, 21 kids and apparently most of them are scholarship players too uh, that have, you know, have tested positive. So I don't see that one happening this weekend. And LSU does have a quarterback uh, injury too. Miles Brennan's questionable. Uh, they could get, you know, a little bit of a break here this week with that game getting canceled. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think I would want to spend much time handicapping that game because it's very unlikely to happen. All right, so let's move over to the NFL side for just a couple of minutes here. And um, I'm not going to worry about doing the highlight video. In fact, Brian Blessing did a video for us uh, of Rams and 49ers over on our ATS YouTube page. Just looking at the card in general here, you know, last week we had a lot of big numbers. It felt like we had a lot of big numbers the previous week too. 
This week, Chicago, Carolina is hovering around three. Detroit and Jacksonville, three and a half. Atlanta, Minnesota, three and a half. Houston, Tennessee at three. Giants and Washington, two and a half. Browns, Steelers, three and a half. Uh, Packers and Bucks, two. Rams and 49ers, three and a half. I think that line's going to keep going up, though. Uh, we got a lot of games hovering around key numbers, including both Monday nighters. Makes for an interesting week in the NFL here and, and probably a lot of you know teaser opportunities and stuff like that. Yeah, it does. And I, I will say that um, I wanted to note on the Rams and 49ers game, if I can, though, that uh, the look ahead line on this game was San Francisco minus three. So now we've got the Rams minus three and a half at this point in the season. That's about as big of an adjustment as you'll ever see. You know, I I don't see that type of thing at this point in the season. Having said that, who wants to bet the 49ers here? I know I don't want to bet the 49ers in this game. Um, If you wanted to bet the Rams, you should have bet them before now. I will say that the Rams have been in uh, interesting spots. They've traveled East a lot of different times so far this year. The Rams have really played well. Uh, San Francisco, a team that I faded the other day, fortunately, uh, against Miami. I I think it's harder to go against them here when it's three and a half. I do think maybe the over could have some value. It's been bet up from 49 to 51 or 51 and a half. But I thought it was interesting that there's been that big of a line move from the look ahead on that one. Um, You know, as far as the other games, the Browns and Steelers game is a really interesting game. And I know that's one that uh, one that you'll probably be watching. Um, you know, thoughts on that game. It's interesting to see 51 as a total in that game because, uh, the Browns and Steelers, you think of low scoring games, the Steelers defense didn't look very good against the Eagles last week. Steelers arguably a bit fortunate to cover the spread there at the end of the game last week against Philadelphia. Um, I think I would have liked the over here, but I can't believe this is 51. You know, it just kind of shows what what the marketplace, how how much um, the overs winning in both college football and the NFL has really adjusted the marketplace a lot. You know, I would have expected something like 47 or 47 and a half in a game like this. So now you're getting inflated totals, these divisional matchups. You probably want to think that there's going to be some unders. I just think that Cleveland looks more like an over team to me. Cleveland runs the football so well. They play relatively quickly. Uh, Mayfield is is kind of an unknown to me. You know, he could throw a pick six. He could also throw make a really big play on offense. Cleveland clearly has really good uh, wide receivers as well. So it looks like the market likes Cleveland a little bit here with the number going from four down to three and a half. I don't know. Do you have any uh, strong opinion on that game so far? It is one that we discussed yesterday, one that we've kind of been talking about a little bit in social media circles regarding that total of 51. Mm -hmm. It's the highest total in over 30 years, at least in this head to head rivalry. So this is, you know, one of those, it's I think only the second time there's been a total over 47 and a half in this head to head rivalry. And it speaks to the fact that Cleveland finally has an offense. And if they get healthy on defense and maybe they'll get healthy at the right time, with Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward and Mac Wilson and some of these guys coming back, maybe that's something that helps the Browns, you know, for this stretch playoff run. I don't know if those guys will be back this week. They were kind of doing some light practicing last week. I don't know what to do about the side, quite frankly. I mean, I would look under because, you know, we know that division games tend to tread under in particular, you know, ones that are in the AFC North too. Um, But You know, again, like you said, it it speaks to not only the current state of the NFL, but also speaks to the fact that the Browns finally have an offense, which is something you know that I'm very excited about, to say the least. I guess since we talked about my favorite team, let's talk about your favorite team here, at least the one you know closest to you, Cincinnati and Indianapolis here, two sixty-five, two sixty-six. 
some sharp money came in against Indy last week. There were a lot of split opinions on that game against the Browns, but a lot of people have consistently been poking holes in the Colts in Phillip Rivers. Now this line's down to eight. What do you think? I mean, you're, you look at the Bengals here, you look at the Colts to bounce back. What do you think? Oh, this is a tough game. This is a really tough game. Uh, the weakness of the Bengals is on full display. Everybody knows what the weakness of the Bengals is at this point. Their offensive line is terrible. I and mean, they're just a terrible offensive line. Really concerned as a Bengals fan that Burrow's going to get hurt. Uh, Burrow is a really good quarterback. I think he looks excellent. He has very little time to throw. A.J. Green doesn't look good at all. I know he's a, a bit banged up. Um, the other guys are better than him at this point anyways. But I will say um, – I think I would lean to the Bengals in this game, but I don't like it very much because I'm worried about that offensive line not holding up. The thing is about the Colts, I don't really trust them to win by margin. You know, can we really trust uh, the Colts to win by margin with Phillip Rivers really not playing well at all? Um, the Bengals defense looks better than it did. You know, they're certainly not a great defense. The, the Browns ran all over them. They couldn't stop the Browns at all. Other than that, I think the Bengals defense has played better than what we would have expected. I think the Bengals should sell out to try to stop the run in this game in every way that they can make rivers beat them. I think the Colts will win this game. Um, You know, might've had a slight lean to the over, if anything, this one being played in a dome, but um, I no strong opinion on this one to, to be honest. There are going to be a lot, I think of Ravens and Colts teasers. Teasers. Yeah. I I think that's, that's kind of what you look for. And, and that's something too. And and we'll talk about this next week because we're, we're out of time for today's show, but with high totals, teasers are very hard to play right now. Even if you get through that key, you know, eight through two corridor and hit all those key numbers, three, four, six, seven, and even five now are a relatively key number. These totals are just so high. You know, you try to find teaser plays where the totals are low. And this week we just don't have a whole lot of them. So you know, I guess we'll kind of see what happens out there uh, in the teaser market for week six in the NFL. But uh, as I said, I know we ran a little bit long, but, you know, transitioning over to Wednesday, a little bit of an adjustment here with the shows with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper from huntersportspicks.com. What's going on over at the websites right now, man? Well, I lower the prices for the season pass for college football and the NFL. You can look at the football fanatic pass, which will get you every single play in college football and the NFL. Lowered that earlier this morning. So uh, you can go over and check out that lowered price. Also, sign up for the free picks newsletter if you haven't already at huntersportspicks.com. You can go sign up for that. And then when you register there, you get a free premium play as well. So if you want to get a free premium play just to test things out, that's a good way to go over there and sign up for the free picks newsletter. Yep. Get a free premium play for one of the worst games to watch on the board for Saturday, right? (laughs) Probably so. Probably so. (laughs) Always fun to chat with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter picks. Kyle, always a great time, man. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, we'll talk to you again next Wednesday. Always fun, man. Thanks. There you go. Once again, professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter. Coming up on Thursday, we'll chat more college football and some more NFL with Brad Powers, professional handicapper and better from bradpowersports.com. Friday, coming off of a 5-0 and in the Circus Sports Million. I'll try to do it again with my picks uh, on that show on Friday here on ATS Radio. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 